Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. My name is Rodney Hu and today I'm joined by another awesome guest, Mr. Ibrahim Alinor. And so he is the CEO and founder of City Health Tech and they are an interesting company. They use technology to educate and build healthier communities and mitigate the spread of infectious diseases globally. And they have a vision of a world without disease outbreaks. And um, especially in 2020, this topic couldn't be more interesting. So I'm excited to uh, have him on and just share his story and what they're doing over at City Health Tech. So with that being said, Ibrahim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk about a lot of the interesting things going on in the pandemic and the state of education. Yeah, for sure. So why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a brief background of who you are and kind of how you got into the healthcare industry? Yeah, so I just graduated from Northwestern with my degree in industrial engineering. Uh, my mother hails from Trinidad and Tobago. So I raised in a single family household with three other siblings in the middle of nowhere, in the swamps of Florida. So, you know, like when I got into Northwestern and I was also a Gates Millennium Scholar. So that was like a really big deal for me and securing my educational basis and whatnot. And it gave me kind of that freedom to kind of explore different interests. And so I quickly realized that I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was little selling candy out of my backpack. I was tutoring other kids, always hustling for something. And I didn't really know what that word entrepreneurship was. And I think as I grew over the last like six years, I've really been understanding that it's about building community and making an impact. And given my certain set of skills, it's kind of how I found my way through entrepreneurship. So just a little bit more professional background on me. I founded a few nonprofits, like um, working with Inspire Vincent Robotics. I've worked with... Um, uh, this company called the City Tech Collaborative, as well as the Digital Manufacturing Design Innovation Institute, the one we end up changing the name for about a year and a half. It was a really interesting like cohort where they've gotten $80 million to start this department defense facility to bring manufacturing jobs back into the US. So my career really started in this interesting world of strategy, ramping up this company that I just got all this money from year two and going in through year four. So understanding like that growth phase, working with interesting stakeholders. And when I was there, I learned real that there is a specific gap of almost all research out there. It's that blend of public-private partnerships. So you get a university, maybe a startup, a big private organization in the government to really work on solutions. So that's some of the projects that I worked on, but that process was really, really slow. And so something that I wanted to work on was figuring out how can we explain a lot of those processes and figure out how can we um, you know, just build better cities. So that was kind of like my big idea when I was like maybe 19. Just thinking about like where I want to be in the world. I was like, all right, put a stake in the ground. By the time I'm 50, I'm going to be working on redesigning cities. No clue what that means, but I want to do it in a sustainable way. And I want to be able to start up creating that best model. What does that look like with technology? And so that's kind of how I found my way into city health tech. I was in a design class at the time. My mom was talking about how, you know, she was getting taught to sing the happy birthday song twice how it all started. This doctor in front of a hundred nurses saying, you guys better be singing a song while you're washing your hands. And the visual just really stuck with me. And when I realized that that really was a standard in practice of what they're doing in healthcare facilities, I realized it was a big opportunity because one, the way they collect hand-washing data is with a stopwatch. And then secondly, there's actually no way to actually encourage that behavior. So we talked to people in director of infection controls of hospitals, talked about how for 15 years they've done research and work to try to get people to wash their hands and failed because they've just tried to use posters in education. So with those kind of two theses, we started City Health Tech. 
to figure out how can we actually increase hand washing times. And when we looked at other different verticals, found there are 48 million cases of foodborne illness, nearly a million days of school missed every single day due to preventable disease, about $100 billion in US GDP left on the table. And so that's kind of we kind of started with hand washing. And as we've gone through this pandemic, really analyzing and saying that we really need to invest in prevention technologies and figuring out what that means. Nice. So I think you guys have already seen the potential of disease prevention even before 2020. But how do you think 2020 and this whole COVID pandemic has really affected your guys' business model and just brought awareness to what you guys have been working on over these past couple of years? I think it's accelerated a lot of things that we've wanted to accomplish. So for example, the reason why we started with schools is one, it's a very controlled environment, right? You can track rates of attendance and student performance. So you can do a little bit of experimentation there. And two, it's one place where you're going to have to like educate a future generation. It's, they feel really strong pain and talking to principals, they said, some of our biggest issues is students missing school due to illness, specifically in underserved and low-income communities, where if you miss a day of school or a week, God forbid, you're going to forever be behind in math. Like, for example, I had my niece who recently had the flu, and she just did not understand fractions. And so you think you're bad at math, and then it kind of spirals out. So a lot of people who think they're bad at math out there, it's not because you're bad at math, it's because you got the cold or flu for a few weeks, and you didn't ever catch up. So it really, it really spirals out into these small things and people who are in low-income communities can't afford tutors. So that's kind of why we kind of looked at the educational world and we said we want to train a future generation to understand what they do impacts other, starting with washing your hands, understanding all those important roles of community health. We worked with five schools in the Chicago area to kind of understand what their problems are facing, implement new technologies, kind of iterate on some prototypes. But now with COVID, we see ads, I think the most surreal thing with seeing people on TV saying, stay safe, wash your hands. Insane that we would be in a world in which everybody was talking about washing your hands. But what's really sad is that we've always had this momentum of saying, wash your hands, but no one's talking about how. If you ask the average person, they're probably either rubbing their hands till it's bone dry and they get this crackly skin, or they're not washing it all. They put it under water for like a few seconds and walk away. So if you wash your hands for 10 seconds, in about two hours, it'd be as if you hadn't washed your hands at all. So getting to 20 seconds is pretty critically important. And we shouldn't be playing a guessing game on whether or not our hands are clean. But yet we still are. So that's kind of the fun things that we've been able to do is kind of promote this importance of hand washing, also focus on other forms of education. And I think something we can talk about a little bit later is more or less the state of academic research going on, specifically in reaping schools. Nice. And so I really like it because... Man, washing your hands, sanitize, like that's all basic knowledge that people should already know about, right? But you guys are just diving a level deeper by what you guys are creating. And you guys not only have a hardware, but you guys also have software. You have the device and you have your dashboard. So I want to give you an opportunity to kind of speak on the device. Um, I can kind of see it on your screen behind you, but go ahead and elaborate and how powerful is this? And What's the value so, of it? It's a small device, about the size of an apple that would sit next to your faucet. It easily attaches. Depending on the environment, it'll be a rubber slip map or maybe a, we, we partner with a manufacturer to get really strong adhesives. It has a full color display about maybe twice the size of an Apple Watch. And we're able to play any form of content. So for example, we're working with a food regulated facility. 
We're able to go in, train them how to wash their hands properly. And then that's actually the fun part. Once we actually train people and educate what that 30 seconds or that 20 seconds looks like, we're going to be able to promote other content. So for example, in schools, when we put these in bathrooms, we can run anti-vaping camps. We can actually promote you know, eating healthy habits, promoting mental health and mindfulness reminders to cause people to pause when they're washing their hands. So there's a lot of knowledge and behavior change they'll be able to implement with their device. And we also arm all of the people we work with with data. And I think that's critically important now than ever is making sure that we have scientific facts and data. And so we have a pretty strong data privacy in which all of the data we collect are anonymous. We're able to tell at each device people are washing their hands for how form of contently engaged behavior. So there's also value in terms of different verticals. You think about business and offices, for example, co-working spaces that want to promote their companies, uh, like companies like Microsoft, in which they could do this at a corporate office and run kind of ads to say, here's what Microsoft's doing. Here's an employee spotlight. So there's a really interesting like ecosystem and world we're building off of just health communication. Nice. And so you said one of the powerful parts of the device is how you're able to collect the data. Um, and so what sort of data are you collecting and how are you going about collecting it? And then how are you leveraging it, essentially? Right. So for example, I think a great example is with franchises. So imagine we have an organization like McDonald's. They have hundreds and hundreds of locations. That person will be able to see, or specifically a franchise owner, how are people washing their hands at my organization? What are the frequencies and the duration? So legally required, they need to be washing their hands, or at least their training says they should be washing their hands at least 20 seconds every hour. Every hour. And so anecdotally, I can tell you that no one is washing their hands every hour. They do this in Chipotle. It's very interesting. If you get there in an hour, they have a little buzzer that will go off, and everybody just turns it off and keeps going. It's supposed to remind everyone to wash their hands. So we're actually able to enforce that. So being able to say, listen, we can address that there's a problem. People are not washing their hands. That can be a form of contamination. And so from a data analytics perspective, that's really interesting. And then the other behavioral intelligence that we're finding out. So for example, in a given a specific demographic, we play a certain animation, we can understand what actually creates that behavior change. So maybe the north side of Chicago just really, really loves that dancing bear. Or you know, people on the south side really just love you know, this specific knock-knock joke. Right? It'd be really interesting to be able to A-B test and see how are people similar and different and what do we actually do to encourage that behavior. Oh, okay. Nice. And so you have this device and you're making it engaging and you guys are trying to get it into as many different places as you guys can. The schools, um, you said business offices, um, food regulation industries. And so how are you guys like facilitating those conversations and how are you educating those markets other than just how we're doing, just talking about it. Is there anything specific that has been effective to you guys that's kind of like stood out to you? I think it always starts with education awareness. Like, you know, it's kind of how I caught my co-founder, told him he wasn't washing his hands properly, right? <laughs> like when you tell people something they do every day is wrong. So a funny example is like the director of um, cities from Microsoft, right? I remember I got a chance to pitch him. And to this day, he still thinks of me when he washes his hands. It's like, man, it's never 20 seconds. And so it's a really salient problem. So I use every conversation as an opportunity to educate. And then once people go home and try to wash their hands, it really sticks with them. It's impossible. You'll get so frustrated. So it's a little bit of education, right? Just talking to people and awareness. We also have a little bit of press that we've been featured in. So like all of our press articles and whatnot. And then right now, what we're trying to do is actually really get into the academic community. 
So we have a lot of partners in which we've been able to understand from world leaders in infection control, people who are looking at specifically education from an economics perspective, what does it mean to reopen? We have a professor we work with at the Illinois Institute of Tech who focuses on human motivation. So what are all the interesting ways we can actually motivate people's behavior? We have uh, someone in anti-sorry um, in my microbiology who focuses on antibiotic-resistant bacteria, and we're working on experiments with her to actually go in and take swabs of different dust samples and see what does the actual ecosystem look like. So there's a lot of interesting academic research that's going on, and I think that's critically important for where we are as a country today. I think there is a lot of uncertainty on what COVID is doing to a lot of environments and specifically schools. If you talk to any parent right now, they are pulling their hair out. There is nothing worse than trying to run a full-time job and then also manage your kids. I can only imagine how difficult that is. So in terms of priorities of how we reopen the country, in terms of the most important work that needs to be done today is getting kids in schools and doing it safely in a way that we're actually doing proper research and collecting data. So for example, some of the things that we're working on is creating a, a new survey. So you've seen a lot of these symptom trackers popping up in which people at universities have surveillance. They send it out every day before you can get on campus. You have to fill out your symptoms. What we want to do is add an extra layer onto that is say, what is your mental health status like? So we're going to be working with schools to actually understand from a district level. This is a policy that was implemented at this one school. Here is how it affected the mental health of your teachers, your students, your principals, your parents compared to a comparable district, instead of just looking at things as, okay, someone's gonna get COVID, that means we need to shut down immediately, but also understanding, okay, what is the mental health of that environment and how are we actually gonna sustain that over the long term? So for example, with hybrid dual model classes, where they have maybe three days in person, two days off, that actually might be providing a lot more stress on the students and the parents, rather than just doing a completely online situation. So there's a lot of academic research going on, and I think the sad thing is there's no unifying body that's doing this. A lot of people, it's all guesswork. There is no specific field in infection control for schools. It doesn't exist. And so that's something that's been burgeoning. So a lot of the researchers that we talk to are all infectious disease control experts in like HIV or AIDS in Africa or have done a lot of interesting work there, and now being asked to become infection control experts in this country looking at reopening schools. Nice. That's kind of a good segue into the next question that I had for you is, like, what is the vision that you see for this industry, whether it's infection control and disease prevention? Like, I know you guys created a device to encourage people to wash their hands, to sanitize, but I know that you guys aren't trying to stop there. You kind of just alluded to a little bit, but what sort of potential do you see? Where are you guys trying to take this? So I think it's important to understand why this industry of disease prevention technology does not exist, right? If we look at the billions, almost bil like nearly almost trillions of dollars looking at spending on treatments and looking at vaccines, there is literally $10 billion spent on drugs that hit the market and bacteria become resistant to them within a year. There is tons of money being spent as a huge, like think about big pharma. People talk about it all the time. There is an industry of people making money if you're sick. No one has ever sat down and said, what if we actually prevent the spread of disease? And I think now we've seen how that's impacted the U.S. specifically. We've engineered an entire mindset of people who have thought about only treating the symptoms and not figuring out how to prevent them. And that's why we are where we are today. But I think this is the opportunity to change that. So uh, Dr. Fauci, right? Everyone knows Fauci. He's actually been saying that this is not a one-off situation. 
we are going to experience more pandemics in the next 30 years. It's kind of like these wildfires, you know, we're experiencing climate change and these disasters are kind of ramping up and it's only going to get worse. But the problem is, is we're not focusing on a long-term solution. We're doing patchwork solutions, which we're treating things off as a one-off. Like, okay, so we get COVID situated, we'll never have to think about this again. It's going to be a problem. And for example, by 2050, most um, antibiotics will be resistant. You know, things such as like just commonplace surgery will become incredibly risky. So we need to start figuring out what does that future look like? So some things that we're going to start seeing is like UV lights, sanitizing cars. We're going to have UV lights in phone boxes so you can wash your, like sanitize your phone more. We're going to have a lot more compliance in thinking about masks. Masks actually might become the standard like it is in other countries. I think our device is really interesting because it's at the faucet. It takes a passive thing that you're doing, you know, in your busy days to wash your hands, causes you to slow down. And every time you do that, we hope you think about how your one hand effective hand washing is affecting another person. And I think that's what we're going to see in the next five to 10 years is these burgeoning like little things popping up about disease prevention technology. And so with City Health Tech, we hope to kind of lead that way and saying that, you know what, we're here. We've been doing this beforehand. We knew it was important three years ago. It'll be important today. and It'll be important 30 years from now. So those are some of the interesting things I think we can see. I think UV lights are going to be pretty big. I think understanding like how we redesign places like Disney, Universal, these big gatherings, that's going to fundamentally change. I think cruises will be interesting. I think one of the biggest innovations we'll see are air purifiers, right? Like how do we actually circulate air? Um, yeah, so it should be quite interesting because before we can tackle any other pressing problems the world is facing, we need to be able to meet in person so we can get on a whiteboard and have a conversation, right? Like, you can't, like we can't solve the world's problem over Zoom. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. And we have to be able to meet in person. I think that's one of the ways we're going to have to do that is focusing on disease prevention. Man, you mentioned something just now the idea of prevention versus treatment whereas most people are trying to treat a disease and make a profit off of that where you guys shifted your approach and your perception on hey why wait till they get the disease and then treat it why don't we focus on prevention and so I think that's very valuable but another thing I wanted to ask is as you're going about growing this company and bringing awareness and getting your products and services out to the market. What sort of challenges have you guys faced, whether it's people interested in your product specifically or just people getting bought into the importance of disease prevention and infection control? I would say even after all this COVID, we still have people laughing at us saying, do we really need a vice that's going to get people to wash their hands? And it's kind of sad. It's like you talk to these investors who invest millions of dollars who now struggle with even opening a Zoom meeting but are making investment decisions on cutting-edge technology, which I think is kind of ironic. Um, so we still face issues with funding, you know, it's like getting people on board. I think the state of funding, especially across the country, has shriveled for pre-seed innovation. I think a lot of the things you're going to see are companies that were already winners becoming bigger winners because they already have enough traction to be able to say, hey, we're going to pivot and do this new idea, which a startup that's starting from scratch may be more in time to do. But because they have already the connections and whatnot, they're already sucking in all the money. If you look at the trends across the country, most investments have made probably in series A, very little series or pre-seed funding has been going out. And that's because no one's making risky decisions. So that's some of the struggles we've been facing is just convincing people that, you know, we need to take bigger risks now so it'll pay off later. And I also think education is always hard. We have people who don't believe wearing masks, which is shocking to me. I don't understand why we should be arguing over our masks. But I think there's always people out there who, um, and it goes to our educational system, right? 
it all boils down to education. When we're frustrated with the government and all the things going on today, we really have to look at the educational system as where everything fun fundamentally starts. So some of the problems we've been facing is just being a hardware startup. As soon as you say hardware, people like Blaine's click off. Like or you think about manufacturing, supply chain, um, durability control, testing, all these other different components that go into like building and adding like an IoT infrastructure over. It's pretty complex and most investors are not armed with the knowledge of what it actually means to implement a lot of those products. So that's why most like new IoT or manufacturing hardware products are from these big companies like Honeywell or GE because they have the innovation resources field to do that. So that's some of the problems we've been facing is just educating people properly, but it's been awesome to meet people who see our vision and really get excited over what we do. Um, I think that's growing every, every day and that makes me so excited. And then also just focusing on educating people in general, like even talking to your friends, really having a conversation about why these things are important. These are all important things we're hoping to facilitate. Nice. And I remember before we actually agreed to this podcast, you had mentioned that you're like the statistics guy. So what are some like numbers that you could just throw out that'll grab people's attention to bring importance to this? Yeah, so I'd say there are about 100 million days of work missed due to the common cold. There are 30 new infectious diseases that have emerged over the last 40 years. There are also 30 re-emerging infectious diseases that we had recently had thought of going away. And we've also seen an increase in bioterrorism. So if that doesn't scare you, literally most of these are concentrated into the U.S. Bioterrorism? Yeah, like that's the only case of anthrax. That'd be a good example, right? And I think people are looking at, you know, a lot of bioterrorism, re-engineering. If you think about CRISPR and bioengineering, there are people who are actually designing some of the most scariest bugs and diseases out there. So if we're looking, there's an entire lab, part of the Department of Defense, that focuses on um, preventing this very disease. Like literally, there are people who spend too much money to spend money on, if we put anthrax in a subway, how fast is that going to take over a city and where do we actually stop that? So we have a lot of infectious diseases that are going to be really like stunningly infecting us. Like, for example, they're talking about COVID essentially shatters your heart. It will literally shred it into pieces. It does the same thing with your brain. It's very scary. And people really need to understand that we don't know what COVID is. And while it might not kill you because everyone's pointing to the death rate, we still have not even begun to understand the quality of life you're going to live and the number of years it's shaving off your entire life expectancy. So you might be living 20 years less because you got COVID and you decide you want to go party and not wear a mask. It's serious. And if we all would actually lock down, for, like that's what China did, right? They were able to lock down and, you know, nothing about China being communist countries and being able to lock down. But they literally said no one wear for a month, right? I have friends in Hong Kong who are wearing like track to win out the police would get you. And they have been able to reopen slowly and doing it safely. But here in the U.S., we never had something like that. And I think it's really being very careful on how we actually engage with others. And even when you get together, how would you like to be that one person that gets your own sick? Yeah. It's not about you. It's about your family. And I think that's what we really understand, especially young people who I'm here in Santa Barbara in Isla Vista. There were pictures of these kids, faceless masks, having these massive parties. And that's some of the biggest problems that we're facing. If we want to reopen schools, we should close bars. We should start closing things that are not essential so we can start reopening schools. It's kind of sad that the first places to close is where schools and the first places to open were bars. Yeah. And the gyms and stuff like that. All right. Whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, one more question before we kind of end on the last exercise is like, what sort of advice would you have for people who are interested in the topic and kind of are interested but don't know how to go about it? 
I'd say get connected. I think some advice given to me was figure out who has the job that you want and start talking to those people. Uh, if people are really cool, LinkedIn's a very powerful tool. You can really just, especially academics too, they always love talking about their research. And so that's something that I would say, anybody who's getting started, the number one thing about being an entrepreneur is your ability to build a community. If you can't do that, you will not be able to be a successful entrepreneur. So start talking to people. Be okay with talking about your ideas that fail. Before I was working on this, I had three other startups that massively failed. One of them was trying to reinvent the dishwasher. So we try to build a Keurig for dishwashers. So try weird ideas. No one's going to fault you for being passionate about what you're working on and start building a community over that. Because now I look back over the last six years of focusing just on entrepreneurship and I have this amazing community that's supporting me. And it didn't happen overnight. I would, if I had started today to try to build this company, I'd be drowning. It takes a village to even build up one single prototype or product. It's a very difficult journey, but if you want to get started, just start by talking to people, understanding their problems and being a really good listener. Mm, okay. Yeah. I like that. It does take a village. Just trust the process, enjoy the journey. Um, but you talked about a lot of high level topics and a lot about disease prevention and what you guys are doing. Um, but I kind of want to end the episode on a little more lighter note with an exercise that I like <laughs> to call the rapid fire round. So I have a set of questions that I'm going to ask you and then you kind of just give me whatever answer you come up with. Sounds good. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Favorite book? Hmm. Uh, there's a really interesting book called The Bell Curve. I mean, it was really controversial. It has like a big ass appendix. And it all talks about the relationships of IQ. And one of the biggest takeaways I got from that book, which I know people thought about it as a racist book, I talked about how these different races were scoring in different IQ levels, given SAT scores. But the end chapter talked about how the key to happiness is adding value to community and feeling valued by that community. And that has really stuck with me. Uh, okay, okay, nice. And then who is the most influential person in your life or career? Definitely my mom. My mom is an incredible superhero who raised me and my siblings. And, you know, to her credit, she was the one who told me to focus on education three years ago. And she'll never let me forget it. She has been like kind of my inspiration, motivation and supporter for a lot of the things that I do. So shout out to the mothers of the world. <laughs> shout out to the mothers. All right, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? This year. Hmm. I really want to go the Redwood Force. I mean, that wasn't what you were expecting, but I've always wanted to see the Redwoods. I just moved here to California, and I've always wanted to see those trees. I've heard it's very surreal. Oh, yeah. You're close. You're on the West Coast, man. So Yeah, I just got these fires. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, last one. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? I know you're kind of young, so. <laughs> so, for context, I'll be turning 24 in October, but my 20-year-old self, um, I, I think what you said, actually, is trust the process. I think a lot of times that like when you go on these four year long journeys, it gets kind of lost in the weeds, but understanding that there's a bigger picture out there. And sometimes when things are uncertain, you need to trust the process and trust in yourself that things are going to work out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great way to end today's episode. Ibrahim, I just want to say thank you again for just jumping on and sharing all your knowledge and all your experience and what you've been working on at uh, city health tech and, I'm excited to see what the future is in store for you guys because um, I, I like your guys' like, mindset. It's different than the average like healthcare company and your guys' approach is very innovative. So I'm excited and thank you for jumping on. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a pleasure. Um, no problem. But before we go, where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about you? Yeah, check us out 
at www.cityhealthtech.com or feel free to send me an email at Ibrahim at cityhealthtech. Awesome. Awesome, man. And I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes and in the resources um, in the blog post as well. But with that being said, thank you again. Um, That concludes today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one. Thank you.